You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Good morning. Welcome to church. My name is Gorville, and I get to serve here on staff at Hope in our youth ministry. I'm glad that you're with us here this morning. If you have your Bibles, please open them up to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, we are going to be continuing on in our summer series looking at the parables of Jesus. Now, just as a quick definition while you go to Luke 13, uh, parables are earthly stories that have a heavenly or eternal meaning. They're often illustrations that are given by Jesus to help us understand a significant truth about life and the kingdom of heaven. And so today, <clears throat> we'll be unpacking the parable in Luke 13 in verses 6 to 9. But before we do that, we need to look at the first five verses of chapter 13 to give us a little bit of context as to why Jesus is giving this parable. So <clears throat> hopefully you're there. You can read along with me in verse 1 of chapter 13. It says, there were some present at that very time who told him, this is Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And so he, Jesus, answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So here we have this terrible situation that is brought to Jesus initially about some Galileans who, who had died in a tragic event. And the reason why this was brought to Jesus was because at the time, it was generally believed, generally, that suffering and tragedy happens more to those who sin in greater ways than other people. That was, that's what, what was believed. And so this question is brought to Jesus. The situation is brought to Jesus. And then his response is he gives another example of a situation that had happened, a tragic event that had occurred where 18 people had a tower fall on them. Now, in both of these situations, Jesus asks a question. Did you see it there? In the first situation, he says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? And then in the second situation with the tower falling on the people, he says, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? Jesus was responding to the very basic question of do people suffer more or less because of the severity of their sin? Does God really give back to people what they deserve? Is that why these people had this happen to them, Jesus? That's what was being asked here. And so Jesus responds with a very emphatic truth, and he says it twice, both in verse 3 and verse 5. He says, no, no, I tell you. Jesus wasn't denying that sin brings suffering, because it does. But not all tragedy and not all suffering and not all crises are the result of someone's own individual, individual and personal sin. With both of these situations, Jesus is bringing out the true reason why these tragedies and others like them are so devastating. They expose our mortality. They expose the, 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 
the, the, the, real, the realization that our life will come to an end. Our life is so short. On one seemingly normal, slow-paced Sunday afternoon in Papua New Guinea, Walt and Vonnie Steinkraus were hanging out with their daughters, Carrie and Kathy. They were a missionary family. Just a regular Sunday afternoon, like any other Sunday afternoon. And at 3 p.m., a large portion of the 300-foot mountain on the opposite side of the river from their house suddenly broke loose. And with a deafening roar and with incredible force, a half-mile wide, 100-foot-deep slab of that mountain plunged downward and crossed the river with lightning speed. It drove across the bank to the opposite side and covered their entire village with rock, mud, and debris 10 feet deep. And the Steinkraus family were buried in the landslide. Tragedy. Suffering. But why? Why? These people here ask Jesus, was, did this happen to them, Jesus, because of their own personal and individual sin? No, I tell you. So why? Why do these things happen? Well, the reality is because sin exists in this world. Ever since Adam and Eve in Genesis, not individual sin, but sin as a whole, since that exists in the world, death also exists in the world. And nothing shows our, mort our mortality more than when a life is cut short, especially a life that had the potential to be much fuller. So Jesus here in Luke 13 is highlighting the real issue. This is the real issue. The real issue is the presence of sin and not the severity of one's sin. The real issue isn't the fact that you or I are worse sinners than anybody else. The real issue is that sin exists in this world. And so Jesus calls his listeners to consider not that life may be cut short because of tragedy, but that life will, in fact, end for all of us at some point. This brings up a far greater question. What comes next? What comes next? How do we prevent the end from being the ultimate end? For everyone, with death comes a potentially final encounter with the God of the universe. And when that moment arrives for every single one of us, it won't be whether you or I are worse sinners than anybody else. It'll be whether or not we have truly repented or not. There is an urgent need for repentance in our lives. There's an urgency to it. And so the whole point of this message today is this, that God looks for the fruit of repentance in our lives. And if none is found, we will face judgment. God is looking for the fruit of repentance. That word fruit simply means the evidence. God is looking for the evidence of repentance in our lives. And if none is found, we will face judgment. Judgment, And then Jesus here gives this parable in verses 6 to 9. So we can read that together now. Look what it says. He says, he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, this is now the vine dresser, it said, and he says, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, 
well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Two things I want to draw out for us from this parable this morning. The first thing is this. It's our first point. God has inspected me. And so I must admit that I am in trouble. God inspects us. The scene here has a man who owns a vineyard, and there is a tree in his vineyard, and he has come to inspect the tree for fruit. He's come looking to see if the fruit tree is producing fruit, naturally. And if you notice, there is none. He finds no fruit. And if you, if you also notice, it's been three years it's been three years since he started coming, seeking fruit from this tree. And for three years, day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out, year in and year out, for three years, he has been disappointed. The owner has found no fruit on this tree. The tree should have produced fruit by now. In fact, there has been plenty of opportunity and a lot of time, and yet still nothing. And so... The command is given by the owner. See what he says? Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? The owner's wishes, his wishes here are perfectly reasonable. They're perfectly understandable. This tree, in fact, has been so useless, it has been taking up precious space in his vineyard. It has been exhausting and wasting the soil of the ground, and it's produced nothing in return. No fruit. So it had to go. Now, something to know about me, a little bit of a confession here. I am not a gardener. Uh, I know very little about caring for trees and plants. In fact, I would go as far as to say I know nothing about caring for trees and plants. However, it does make a lot of sense to me that if I were a gardener, if I had that special giftedness to know how plants and trees work and what they need, if I did own a vineyard, if I did own trees in that vineyard, and if I had a tree that wasn't working, if I had a tree that wasn't producing fruit, that wasn't growing, and then after years of trying, it was still fruitless, it makes a lot of sense to me that this tree would probably be best to be removed and for me to plant a new one. The picture here is given to all of Jesus' hearers to consider the reality that in the same way that the vineyard owner has come to inspect his tree for fruit, God has come to inspect all of our lives. And the truth is, in of ourselves, we are in trouble. By our own strength, Every single one of us has failed to produce what God is looking for. Every single one of us has failed to live in a way that pleases God. We have to admit we are in trouble. And the first way to do that, this begins with admitting your own sin, with us all admitting our own sin. Romans chapter 3, end of verse 22 to 23 for you. It says, For there is no distinction. That's a very important part. There is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no distinction. No one is exempt. No one has an excuse. Not, not any single one of us is any different than anyone else in this truth, that we are all guilty sinners. Every one of us is like the tree that is failing to produce fruits, by ourselves, we cannot produce what God is looking for. 
Apart from God, the only fruit that you and I will produce, apart from God and of our own strength, the only fruit that you and I are going to produce is the, is the fruit that proves, that gives evidence to the reality that we are guilty sinners. We must admit that we are in trouble. We need to realize that we can't be good enough to pass God's inspection. Doing good deeds, sometimes, is not good enough. Coming to church on special occasions and holidays or every other week is not good enough. Even every week, not good enough. Having good morals on some days of the week is not good enough. Abstaining from certain things is not good enough. Reading your Bible is not good enough. Memorizing scripture is not good enough. None of this is good enough when God comes to inspect our lives. Because everything we do, our best intentions on our best day are tainted because of sin in our hearts. This is the truth. The fruit that God is seeking from us cannot actually be produced by us. The, sin, the, the fruit that God is seeking from us, from, you, from your life and my life, cannot actually be produced by us in our own strength. Many have probably heard the classic, you know what, admitting you have a problem is the first step to recovery. It's said so often, but in a way, that is what needs to happen here. We have to admit that we are in trouble. The Apostle Paul, he emphasized this as he cites the psalmist in Romans chapter 3 when he says this. He says, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Now, if you mark up your Bible in any way and you want to focus on what is this trying to say, there's a lot of nuns, no ones, alls, and not even ones in this section right here. It's pretty all-encompassing. Every single one of us, we are not righteous. We do not understand. We do not see God. We have turned aside. We have become worthless. We don't do good, not even one. Our best intentions on our best of days are still tainted by sin. We must admit that we are in trouble. We must admit our sin. We must admit our helplessness. And then in humility, in humility, we must repent. Now, that is a very churchy word, repentance. So I want to talk about what repentance is not. What it is not. So one author, he wrote this about repentance. He said, people think repentance is an emotional experience enjoyed by strange people who like to cry in public. That's not repentance. Repentance is more than emotion. Repentance is even more than remorse. It's more than just feeling bad for what you have done. Another thought when it comes to repentance is this idea of, of penance, this idea that in some way, shape, or form, we have to pay the price for our sin. We have to make amends for what we have done. That is not true repentance. Well, making amends and seeking reconciliation for wrongdoing is important, and it's good to do that. It's not what makes repentance true and genuine. So what is Repentance. A little bit of a definition for you. Hopefully this can be helpful as we continue on with our time here on the screen for you. It says, repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change in action. Very important there. It's a change of mind that leads to a change in action. It's when, when we recognize in our minds, our mindset is changed and not changed so that we can change it again. 
It's a set and determined mindset that says, I see what my sin is. My sin is, is grieving against a perfect and holy God. It is disobedience to the king of the universe, and all that's going to cause me is death. It's a change of mindset that recognizes that and says, no, I don't want to live this way anymore. And then it's a, it's a total turnaround of one's life in respect to their sin. It says, no, I don't want this anymore, so I'm gonna, my mindset changes, which changes my, what I want to do. So I turn away from my sin, totally turn around, walk the opposite direction towards where the Lord is, to what pleases him, leaving sin behind us. The Apostle Paul, he summarizes this in Acts chapter 26 he's, when he says this. He says that the reason why he is preaching, the reason why he does what he does is this, so that they should repent and turn to God. Notice, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. You see there? Repent and turn to God. A change of mindset. Seeing who God is, who we are, sinners in need of a Savior, all falling short of the glory of God, turning to God, change of mindset, determined mindset, not changing it again. Yes, stumbling along the way, but determined to keep going, plugging away, then keeping deeds in repentance. Say, I'm going to continue to walk, Lord. I'm going to fall short. Yes, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm going to keep turning away. Keep turning away from the sin in my life. Keep looking towards you. Yes, I might be face down in the dirt sometimes, but I'm going to look up and face you and keep going towards you. That is repentance. A change of mind that leads to a change in action. It can't start with action. Because again, our actions are meaningless. Our actions are worthless in our best day. has to start, start with a change of mindset, a determined mindset, a determined heart that then leads to performing deeds in keeping with repentance. Now, this is not something that can be faked. This is not something that you can just muster up and pretend. It might work for everyone around here. It might, might work for your family. You might think that, hey, I'm doing a good job, and they believe what they see, and they see what I want them to see, and things are good. God sees into our hearts. He knows the hidden areas of my heart. He knows the hidden areas of your hearts that others don't see. You can't fool him. If your life has not changed as it relates to a total turnaround of your sin, yeah, we're not talking perfection here. But if your life has, if you've never seen a change in your life as it relates to your sin, if you've never seen a continual change in your life, you're saying, I'm continuing to walk towards God with my sin behind me. Yes, stumbling along the way. Sometimes feeling like I'm being dragged across the ground, but still going in that direction. If you've never seen a turnaround in your life as a result, as in respect to your sin, you may never have truly experienced repentance. Repentance is an essential quality in the Christian life. It's not an option. It must happen. God's word is absolutely clear. It says this, the times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. There's no more excuses. God has overlooked ignorance. He's overlooked our excuses, but now Hear God's word. He commands all people everywhere to repent. If you are here today, hear God's word. Repent of your sin. Jesus says in Luke chapter 5, I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus says, I have not come for those who think they don't need me. 
I have not come for those who think they have their life put together. I have not come for the person who thinks they are perfect in of themselves. I have not come for those people who think they don't need anybody else, that they can just do what they want for all their life and they're going to be fine. I have not come for them. I have come for those who say they are sinners, who have fallen short of my glory, where there is no distinction, and I have come to call them to repentance. It's not about our best efforts. It's not about us being good Christians. It's not about being good enough for the kingdom of heaven because you can't be good enough for the kingdom of heaven. You can't be good enough. I can't be good enough to pass God's inspection of your life and of mine. But what we can do is repent of our sin. True repentance comes when we realize we have sinned against a holy and perfect God. Change of mindset that then leads to a change in action as we perform deeds in keeping with our repentance. 2 Corinthians says this, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Again, notice, godly grief, godly grief, a change of mindset which realizes I have sinned against the holy and perfect God. I grieve my sin, not because I've been found out, not because I feel bad about what I've done, but I grieve my sin because I know there is a God in heaven. I know I have fallen short of his glory. I know I have disobeyed him. I know I, 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 I choose to do evil continually in my life, and that grieves me because I know I'm going against the holy God. That then produces repentance, which leads to salvation. A change of mindset that leads to a change of action, a total turnaround of your life, that is true repentance without regrets. But worldly grief, the grief that just feels bad because of what you've done, the grief that just feels like I don't want to get caught because then I'm in trouble, or I just want to keep doing this for as long as I can until I'm ready, a grief where you just feel bad because it's just, it affects your life in a way that you don't want it to, that worldly grief God's word says here, produces death. God has inspected each of our lives, every single one of us. And in our own efforts, we have been found totally lacking. We must admit that we are in trouble. We must admit that we are in need of someone far greater than ourselves. So we have this owner here inspecting his tree for fruit and finding none but then notice, notice what the keeper of the vineyard, notice what the gardener does. Well, look what he says with me here again in verse 8. The vineyard, the, the vine dresser, the, the gardener, he says, Sir, let it alone this year also. Don't cut it down until I dig around it and put on manure. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. Give me a year. If it bears fruit, good. But if not... You can cut it down. The second thing I want to draw out for us from this parable is this. It's that God provides a solution for me. God provides a solution for me, and, though, and so therefore, I must receive his mercy. I must receive his mercy. The caretaker here, the, the vine dresser, he pleads for more time with the owner of the vineyard for one last opportunity for the tree. He wants to do work on the tree. He wants to help the tree produce fruit. This is mercy. 
It's mercy. The digging here is meant to loosen the soil so that the water can sink down to the roots and allow the tree to grow. Allow it to bear fruit. The manure is meant to to fertilize the tree, to, to give it nutrients to help it grow. But notice, if no fruit still comes after doing all of this, if it is still fruitless, it is clearly a bad tree. It's clearly a dead tree. And the result is clear. Verse 8 again. Sir, let it alone this year until I dig around it and put on manure. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, the results, you can cut it down. The fact that the vine dresser here asks for more time is absolute mercy for this tree. Absolute mercy. Now, the extra time that is given by the owner... This isn't, an, this isn't approval for the lack of fruit that this, this tree has produced. The owner isn't approving its fruitlessness. But the extra time is a sign of the owner's mercy. But also notice, judgment is not withheld forever. The owner's judgment on this tree is still coming if it remains fruitless. And God's judgment on us is still coming if we remain without the fruit of repentance in our lives. However, Jesus Christ is in the business of producing repentance. Jesus Christ is in the business of saving lives. He is in the business of changing hearts, of of taking dead, wicked, sinful hearts and causing them to be alive again. The very fact that you and I have breath in our lungs right now is the mercy of God. Every moment of life that we have is a moment of mercy where the Lord of all the earth who sustains and maintains the universe has allowed us to have so that he may seek to bring forth fruit in our lives. This is God's mercy. He is so patient with us. Now again... I'm no gardening expert. But as I was thinking about this this illustration, this parable that Jesus was given, I started researching some things that can cause a fruit tree to remain fruitless. Now, if you are a gardener, please don't come up to me after the service and tell me all the things I missed, because I'm sure there's a lot. But some things that can cause a fruit tree to remain fruitless are you have things like pollination problems. If you don't know what pollination is, that's okay. I didn't either. You have things like soil conditions. Good and bad soil conditions can affect a tree being fruitful. You have things like pest attacks. If there's a tree, you can, it has pests that can actually come and, and be aggressive and attack the tree and cause the tree to be fruitless because of it. You have things like, like pruning problems. Sometimes a tree, as it's growing, it needs to be cut at certain points to help it like get more healthy and then grow again to produce fruit. These things and more need to happen because there's so many things that can cause fruitlessness of a fruit tree. Now, a good and caring gardener, a good and caring vineyard, a good and caring gardener will seek to provide solutions to all of these things. Someone who knows how to care for a tree will seek to avoid these problems, to produce solutions for these problems so that the tree could be fruitful. Jesus Christ He has provided a solution for us as well. He extends his mercy to us. We must receive it. John Bunyan, he wrote the book of Pilgrim's Progress. 
He read this parable in Luke chapter 13 and saw the vine dresser's promise to, to dig around the tree. He saw this as indicating that the roots of the tree were too attached to the earth. He, he, saw, he saw that the roots were too earthbound. And so he wrote this, and now you'll have to bear with me. Some of his writing is a little bit older English, so I'll read it slowly. He says, barren fig tree. See how the Lord Jesus, by these very words, suggested the cause of thy fruitless soul. The things of this world lie too close to thy heart. The earth with its things has bound up thy roots. Thou art an earth-bound soul. The things of this world has bound up thy roots. Your roots are all entangled with the things of this world, and it's preventing you to bear fruits. Thou art an earthbound soul. Then Bunyan, he has Jesus as the vine dresser speaking to the owner, and it say, he says this, Lord, I will loosen his roots. I will dig up this earth. I will lay his roots bare. My hand shall be upon him by sickness and by disappointments and by cross providence. I will dig about him until he stands shaking and tottering until he be ready to fall. This is the mercy of God. He digs around us to free us from the things of this world. He hammers us through the ups and the downs and the disappointments of our lives, and he, he pries our earthly attachments away from us so that we might be more fruitful. The question becomes, what are the things of this world that have taken root far too closely to your heart? What are the things of this world that have taken root far too closely to my heart? As I reflected on this this week, I started writing some things down for myself. Now, I'm not going to share the exhaustive list with you because we don't have time for that. But I just wrote these, these four things down. Maybe you, some of you can relate. I wrote down comfort and ease. Gee, if I, just had, if I just had a life that was filled with comfort, that was just always easy, never, never struggling, never suffering, never dealing with any difficulty. If I just have that, then I think my life would be good. Roots too attached to that. Something like entertainment. You know, if I just had another hobby or another activity or another event I could go to or more friends that I can go do things with or more sports that I can be at, pay attention to or more this, more that, more things to be endlessly entertained, I will be satisfied in my life. Roots too attached. Financial security. If I just had a plan for every dollar that's in my bank account, for every day of the week and day of the month, if I had enough money at the end of my month and I could provide for my wife and my child to make sure that I have a financial plan in every situation that may arise, if I'm securing that, then my life is set and I am good. Roots too entangled. Affirmation from others. Oh, if I could just... If I could just continue to get, to get told that I'm doing the right thing, if I'm, if I'm on the right path in my life, if I'm doing a good job, if I can just get told by people around me that what I'm doing is right, I'll be satisfied, I'll be good, and I know I'll probably be in the, in the right direction. Roots entangled with the things of this world. So many of the things that we may hold far too closely to our hearts, they aren't always bad things. Sometimes they are. But the reality is, if these things are the cause of our fruitlessness, or if they are contributing to our fruitlessness, 
they must be uprooted and ripped out. They have to go. And so again, what are the things of this world that have taken root far too closely to your heart? The vine dresser here in verse 8 says, let me dig around the tree. John Bunyan again, he says this. He says, thus I say deals the Lord Jesus oft times with the barren professor. This is how Jesus Christ deals with the fruitless person so often. He diggeth about him. He smiteth one blow at his heart, another blow at his lust, a third at his pleasures, a fourth at his comforts, another at his self-conceitedness. Thus he diggeth about him. This is what Jesus Christ does to the fruitless person. He aggressively attacks our our very hearts. He attacks our comforts. He attacks our our lusts. He attacks our pleasures. He attacks our self-conceitedness. He attacks pride and envy and selfishness and jealousy and apathy. He attacks it aggressively, thus digging around us. This is the way to take bad earth from the roots and to loosen the roots from the earth. Barren fig tree. See here the care and the love and the labor and the way with the, which the Lord Jesus, the dresser of the vineyard, is fair to take with thee so that thou may be made fruitful. See the mercy and the love of Jesus Christ as he attacks these things in our lives so that we may be uprooted from the things that we are far too earthbound so that we may be more fruitful. Is the Lord digging around in your life? Are you facing broken and devastating relationships? Are you facing absolute difficulty and devastation in your workplace or in your family? Are you dealing with challenges of addictions? Are you having things in your life that just so, don't seem to be working out? And no matter what you do, it's just, it's just not quite there. These very things may be the heavy hand of Jesus Christ digging in your life to remove bad soil so that you may be fruitful. This is his mercy. Receive it. Receive his mercy. He is giving you another opportunity to bear the fruit of repentance. The vine dresser continues on the end of verse 8 and says, Let me put manure on the tree. Let me put manure around it. This is to fertilize the tree. The way that you and I fertilize our hearts and our soul so that we may be more fruitful is with the very word of God. The very word of God that is pressed deep down into our hearts by the spirit of God. And so as you open this book and as you read it, maybe for the first time, but as you read it day in and day out and week in and week out and month in and month out and year in and year out, as you continue to get into God's word, the Holy Spirit, he takes the wonderful life-giving nourishment of the gospel and applies it to your life. He fertilizes your hearts. Has the gospel been fertilizing your life? Has the good news of Jesus Christ changed your life, and does it continue to change your life? The good news that God himself came to earth as a baby, that he grew up and lived perfectly in every way, never sinning once, that he was mocked and slandered and abused and beaten and humiliated and betrayed and tortured and nailed to a cross and beaten some more and eventually executed all to pay for the sins that you and I continue to do, paying the penalty, paying the debt, the price that you and I never could pay. 
proving that he is God himself, but then raising himself back from the dead, triumphantly raising back to life so that we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God did in fact raise him from the dead, that we would be saved. Has this good news enriched and covered your life? This is God's mercy. Receive it. Receive it. For the believer here today, those who have received God's mercy, to you I say, continue to let Jesus Christ dig around you. Continue to let him remove the things, freeing you from the things that your soul may be clinging too closely to that is hindering fruitfulness, things that have, that have caused your soul to be earthbound and entangling the roots of your life. Continue to let the Holy Spirit nourish your soul with the word of God daily. Suck in the gospel, as one man put it, and bear fruit. Matthew 3, verse 8 says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Continue to bear fruit of repentance in your life. Repentance is a daily thing. It's not a once and done. Pray every single morning to the Lord, asking him to create in me a clean heart, O God. Lord, renew in me a right spirit. Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation today. God, I need it today again. Continue to bear the fruit of repentance, believer in Jesus. And if you have not yet received the mercy of God, if you have not yet repented of your sin, if you have not yet accepted the free gift of God for the forgiveness of your sin, let me ask you, what are you waiting for? What's stopping you? What is hindering you from bearing the fruitfulness of repentance? There will come a time when there will be no more time. Borrow time is not permanent. It's just not. The owner here, he gives the tree one more year to be fruitful. This is his mercy. Every breath that you take is the mercy of God giving you another moment to repent. Don't be distracted. Don't be lulled to sleep. Don't wait. The very fact that you are here today listening to God's word is his mercy. Don't waste his mercy. Don't abuse his mercy. Don't assume that his mercy will go on forever. Don't think that you can just live your life now the way that you want and then at some point later have time for God. Borrow time is not permanent. Romans chapter 2 on the screen for you. Verse 4, it says, Or do you presume on the riches of these kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Do you not know that the fact that you are here today, that you have breath in your lungs and blood pumping in your heart is the kindness of God, the forbearance and the patience of God with you, not knowing that that kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Don't waste his mercy. Don't presume on his mercy. Repent and accept the mercy of Jesus. Because the consequences are clear. Verse 5 continues on. It says, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, I added there, your, your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself. Storing up wrath for yourself on the day, when wrath, or on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Don't ignore and waste God's mercy. He has provided a solution for you and for me, for our sin. And that solution is Jesus Christ. And he offers his mercy to all who would receive it. Free. When I was in my early 20s, I was living life the way I wanted to. 
I was doing what I wanted to, and I was giving little thought to God, even believing myself the very truth that I could give some part of me towards God at some point in my life, and that would be enough. When I was ready, but God in his mercy stopped me quite literally in my tracks with an accident that could have gone far worse, and the fact that I walked away from that was God's mercy giving me another opportunity, and God saying to me, gee, I am patient with you. I love you. I want to bring forth and produce fruit in your life. I want to lead you into repentance. I want to show you my great love for you. Receive my mercy. God will come back one day. He has promised to do that. If he does not come back while we are still on this earth, all of us will eventually die. Some will live longer than others. But every one of us will stand face to face with God who will inspect our lives. Right now, right now, in this moment, God is knocking on the door of every person's heart, seeking repentance. He is patient towards us, giving us time, digging around us to produce this fruit. He is patient. But there is coming a time when his patience will end. He will come seeking fruit. Will he find it? Like the unfruitful tree that will be cut down if it remains fruitless after a year, so will the person who remains unrepentant. This is why God's word says in Isaiah 55, Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and let the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. Why? Why? Why would I seek the Lord? Why should I go after him while he can be found? Why should I go after him while he is near? Why should I give up my way of living? Why should I give up the things that I want to do and my plans for my life? Why would I give all of that up? So that he may have compassion on him. So that the Lord may have compassion on you. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Abundantly pardon every single sin, thought, deed, word, action, every single thing that we have done that opposes the holiness and the perfection of God with true repentance. God abundantly pardons. This is God's wonderful mercy available to all who will receive it. Let me pray for us. Father, we have, we have heard the truth from your word. God, I just ask right now that by your grace that you would apply this truth to our hearts and our lives. God, I ask, I beg for the fruit of repentance in our lives. And that even now, even right now, another moment, Lord, another moment of breath, another moment of life, that there would be hearts beating faster as you with your heavy hand of love and grace and mercy and patience remind us again of your love for us and your desire to give us time to bear fruit. God, I pray it would not be wasted. God, I pray that your mercy would not be wasted, that we would not delay 
God, I pray that you would uproot the things in our lives, in my heart, in, in the hearts of everyone here, that you would rip it from its, from its roots and get rid of them, Lord, that we would repent of our sin, that we would be detached from the things that our hearts cling so closely to, to this earth, because ultimately those things are going to waste away. The kingdom of heaven will never waste away. God, may we receive your mercy, may we repent of our sin, and may we respond with even greater fruitfulness. Be so honored and glorified, I pray, in our lives and in our worship right now, I pray. In Jesus' name.